0: Um, today, we're going to be going, um, continuing our sermon of a portrait of a Christian. Uh, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, and some some of it's been direct, some of it's been indirect. Um, here's how the portrait of a Christian looks practically on a, in a Sunday service. Everything that we speak on, um, there's accents that you can take, and it applies to every aspect of the portrait of a Christian. That being said, certain aspects... Highlight more of one aspect of the, or certain messages highlight more of one aspect of the portrait of a Christian. So, once again, maybe somebody's here, you're like, you have no idea what the portrait of a Christian is. If you don't, if this is your first or second time being here, I'll just quickly give you a a snapshot. The portrait of a Christian is a picture of the four areas that every believer needs to be growing in simultaneously. If you want to be a healthy Christian, you have to be growing in all four simultaneously. Each person has a strong side and a weak side when it comes to the four aspects. And we have those strengths, but our weaknesses are the things that usually hold us back spiritually, both in our relationship with God and in our practical life, living out purpose. Um, here are the four aspects. Number one, our relationship with God. Every person has to be growing in the relationship with God and allowing it to transform our character because we're made in the image of God. Number two, fellowship of believers. What we have here, what we have on our Monday night small groups that we have that kicked off last week, fellowship in the body of Christ. It's not just hanging out. It's not elevating a hangout to something spiritual. It's that when we, being two or three, gathered together as Isaac started with, when we come together, something special is supposed to happen. When someone shares their testimony, something special happens in the heart of other believers. Fellowship. We have to be growing, seeking it out, and cultivating it in our circles. Third thing is our purpose. The purpose that God created us for practically. What his mission and plan is for us. Our actual usefulness to the kingdom of God. And the last one, personal evangelism. Us being witnesses. Us being the salt and the light and sharing the gospel with other people so the four relationship with God fellowship with other believers purpose and then personal evangelism all four we have to be growing in simultaneously in order to be healthy Um, so here's the thing God moves naturally in each person's life God draws each person he has a plan for how to grow you God literally has a growth track, if you will, for each individual. And there are times where God focuses on one thing or another. There are times where he really, really stirs us in one area or another, and he grows us in that. The main thing to understand is that you can't just focus on one. You focus on whatever God is drawing you in right now, but you always keep in mind all the other ones. Because God's wanting to grow you in all of them. Um, You, If you do not focus on all four, you... The weakest one will always hold you back. The weakest one will always hold you back. Think about it. If your relationship with God is your weakest point, you're busy for God, you participate, but your weakness is that you don't have enough time to spend with God and cultivate relationship, that's going to hurt your purpose, your fellowship, and your personal evangelism. You understand what I'm saying? If you're somebody who you're really good with your relationship with God, you're good with um, fellowship with other believers, but you're not living anything practically, any purpose for God's kingdom, you're not a kingdom worker, it's going to start dragging on your relationship with God. It's gonna start dragging on your fellowship with other believers. They are completely tied together. That's important, and I'm hammering this every single time I speak because we got to get it in our minds. Today we're going to be talking about personal evangelism. Pastor Alex spoke a few weeks ago about fellowship. So here's the thing. When we share a message, it's, it helps you grow in one of those areas. Pastor Alex spoke on fellowship, and he talked about one aspect of it, a very radical aspect. Anybody, was anybody here when Pastor Alex spoke? He spoke a very radical aspect of what fellowship in the body does. Last week, we had Kerry Hartley from New Zealand here. He also shared something, and he shared from his personal story, but the goal was for him to show purpose. He shared how God worked in his life, how God moved him, and and he inspired, for example, me personally here, with his purpose, how God works in his life, and it made me once again reassess how God's using me in my life. Today we're going to talk about personal evangelism, and, and it's not very complicated, so I'm not going to say it. I was going to say it was going to be short, but I'm not going to promise you. My intro was about 10 minutes long. Um, but I want to talk about personal evangelism. It is something that we complicate way too much. Christianity, classical Christianity, conservative Christianity, religious Christianity, um, and just Christianity in general. Because we're inheriting something that is thousands of years old, something that's been around for thousands of years, we have both a wealth of experience, a wealth of things to look back on, and at the same time, as much as that's a blessing, sometimes it complicates things for us. Because we look back and we try to mimic everything that we've heard or anything that we've seen or what people have taught us in reality all of these moments and especially personal evangelism it's something that God opens up to you personally it's something that God actually cultivates in your life personally and it is much simpler than we think it is I want to break the first myth evangelism and personal evangelism is only for people who are called to be evangelists that is a complete myth and not biblical at all The Bible says that we are the salt and the light. Just being salt and the light makes you an evangelist. It makes you somebody who radiates something else. It makes you somebody who makes known to everyone else that you're different. You're either either causing a reaction from people. One way or another, people are noticing something about you. You are a walking testimony. The Bible says in, in, in 1 Corinthians that we are ambassadors to God. And so... We are all called to evangelize. It is not an option. It is not an upgrade in Christianity. It is something that is a part of your DNA as a believer. It is something that God has placed in your heart. Somebody's ministry, somebody's personal evangelism affected you. Somebody's story brought you closer to God. And the process isn't just the moment when you come and you get on your knees right here and you say, God, I give my life to you. The process started way before that. It started with somebody sharing something. Or it started with you noticing somebody else's life. Or it started with you hearing a story about your grandfather who sat in prison, which is something that I did. I had happen. But you have all of these people that are affecting you, and somehow God is drawing you closer and closer to himself through all of this moment. And maybe you have somebody in your life who literally reached out to you and and encouraged you and told you about God's love and led you to the cross, and you gave your life right there. But we all are affected by other people. That's the way God designed it. Evangelism is for every single person. There are a couple easy things that, simple things that we have to keep in mind, things that are necessary in order for us to cultivate evangelism. Number one, we have to hurt for people. Simple. You have to hurt for people. I'm not going to make this religious and say, oh, you just have to, that the only reason that anybody ever shares the gospel is because their heart's on fire for other people. In reality, most of us somewhere start, either we have a moment happen, and so we, we kind of follow it, and it's obvious, and we share the testimony, or we feel an obligation to share it. One way or another, we start where we start. God's not interested where you're starting. God just wants you to grow into a place where your main motivation is hurting for other people, is loving other people. What can start as an obligation has to grow into something natural. Look at how Paul talks about it. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul mentions one extreme aspect of the inspiration or the, I don't know how you want to call it, what pushes him to, to preach the gospel. He says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That is not exactly the most encouraging way to push yourself to preach the gospel. But he addresses it because at some point in his life, he had that happen. He had that moment. He had that thought. And he realized at some point, you see, even by him saying something like that, that that thought must have crossed his mind somewhere. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He understood the obligation that he had as being, first of all, an apostle, but also being just a believer, someone who was saved by an encounter with Christ. Woe is me. The reality is that each one of us, my friends, this extends to all of us. Woe is me. Sometimes that's not the best way to get moving by being threatened. In reality, that's what it sounds like. That's not the best way to get started. That may not be the best place. That's not the best story. At the same time, we start where we start. And sometimes to move us, We have to see the truth, and the truth gets us rolling. If you understand what that means, woe is me, that is something that is a dangerous moment. And and where is that danger coming from? From the enemy? No. It's coming from God. Woe is me. I am against God's plan. I am doing everything against who God made me to be. Woe is me. God requires this of me. Why? Because God loves people that much. God said at one point that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Woe is me if I'm one of the workers who has all the tools, all the skills, everything that I need to gather that harvest, but I'm just sitting around. That's where, that's one extreme. But then you read in Romans 1.14, it says. Everyone I meet, Paul's writing us. everyone I meet, it matters little, whether they're mannered or rude, smart or simple, deepens my sense of interdependence and obligation. Paul here is talking about a whole different aspect. Here it sounds more natural. Here it sounds not so much threatening as something that is in his heart. It sounds a little bit closer to him having kind of the heart that God has towards people. He says that no matter who I meet, it, it, It deepens my sense of obligation. It deepens my sense of interdependence. He understands more naturally that it is his burden to carry. Somewhere when we understand what God did for us and what God saved us from, somewhere as you meet people and you keep an open mind, the Holy Spirit starts transforming your heart and how you see people. Where once you saw a task that you had to perform, now you see a heart that needs saving That's what's slowly happening. God wants to grow that in each person. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your level of Christianity. God wants to grow that in you. Because if that is not grown, if you do not allow God to develop that over the years, you will always be a stuttering evangelist. You will always be one who is driven by just obligation and never by natural desire and pain or the best aspect, love which we'll get to, we have to allow God to cultivate that. And why I say that as point number one is because it is in our power, whether that is cultivated in us or not. God is doing the work. God is cultivating it inside of us. But if we are mindful of it and we're open to it and we're seeking it and we have it in here, what ends up happening is you start catching the moments in your life where God does that. You know, I drive by a lot of homeless people a lot of times. Some of them I've known for years. Um, I'll be honest with you. There are people, that got their spots. I've seen them there for years. And I've given them money. I've ignored them. I've given them money. I've ignored them. And I drive by a lot of people. And I will be honest and say that I don't give to every single homeless person that I see. I don't. But there are moments where I just feel it in my spirit. I feel it in my heart that I have to give something or I have to say something. Or, and I've, I've, I've had times where I've ignored it and then I turned around. I've had times where I've been walking, I've been prompted and I stopped. But the point is there are those moments where God does something in me, where he draws my attention in a specific way. And I don't know what the processes are happening in the spiritual world behind the scenes, but I know in that moment that God is trying to get my attention every moment when i'm aware that god wants to cultivate a heart in me that is closer to what his heart looks like when i'm aware of that i catch those moments and i am very very focused on making sure that i obey so that i could grow because each one of those moments can be missed and each moment that is missed sets you back that's the thing usually when you're not growing in something you're becoming a little harder in your heart the Bible talks about love growing cold, right? Hearts being hardened. It happens by missing the God-ordained moments that God has for you. And that's why first and foremost, we have to understand God wants to develop the right heart in us. Number two, in order to be effective in speaking or, or in sharing the gospel, you have to be humble. Here's the most undervalued aspect of evangelism. Some people focus and they take classes, they go to Bible school to learn how to evangelize to other people. They learn how to use all the tools, how to share, they prepare their testimonies, they make it in bullet points, they, they, they go and they, they, they practice this, or they go on a mission trip, and they do all of those awesome, awesome things, but they overlook one of the most fundamental reasons why people do not preach the gospel, why Christians don't preach the gospel, a lack of humility. A lack of humility is the reason that Christians are afraid to preach the gospel. A lack of humility is the reason why we, without even thinking about subconsciously, push away this obligation because of the fear of being rejected. Think about it. If you're going to pinpoint every moment where you knew God wanted you to speak and you said no, somewhere in there is going to be a trace of fear of rejection. You're afraid of putting yourself out there and embarrassing yourself, being rejected by somebody, or being put down. Or even in your mind, this is something newer, to be even labeled in this category of backwards people. And that kind of fear is rooted in a lack of humility. That fear is a pride that overcomes humility. It is a pride that has authority over you. Because what is it that's being rejected? It's you as a person. We don't want to experience moments like that. And we don't usually think of it as pride, but that's exactly what it is. We're afraid of our image, our reputation. Even if this person will never meet them again, but even before them, we're afraid to put ourselves out there and ruin our reputation. Put ourselves out there and be shot down. That is a lack of humility. Humility is where it's got to start. That's why Jesus gives us something like this. If the world hates you, John 15, 18, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Jesus spent a lot of time trying to cultivate this idea in our minds that, hey, you will be rejected. Get ready for it. You will be rejected. Get ready for it. I'll give you an example of someone who was not ready. You remember the the disciples when they were rejected? What did they want Jesus to do? When they experienced real rejection from people, what did they ask Jesus to do? Anybody remember? Burn (laughs) them. Lord, burn (laughs) them. Send fire from heaven, destroy them. That's somebody who was not ready for rejection. They were not ready. They were offended. Their pride was stepped on. And 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 in, in a weird way you can justify them because they looked I mean this is Jesus, the miracle worker, the one who resurrects people from the dead, and you rep- you you denied him and us? How dare you burn them? They were not ready for rejection. Look at what the Bible shows us, the attitude that we have to have towards people. Usually when we're not ready for rejection and and when we show that kind of attitude, it also is a hint that our heart is still not there. You know what I mean? That it's still in process because we don't see people. Once again, we see us versus them. We don't see the need. We don't have the heart that God wants us to have. Look at how Matthew Chapter 10 tells us to deal with, thing, with, with rejection. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. It's not about confrontation. It's not about proving something. It's not about convincing someone. Most of our conversations with people that have different viewpoints than us especially when it comes to our faith, somehow boiled down to an encounter where we are either trying to convince someone, break, someone's, break down their thinking and show them why they're wrong. It ends in a confrontation, literally two people going at it. In this case, it shows us that, the scripture shows us that we have to be way more easygoing than that. It's not about confronting. It's not about convincing. It's about coming, sharing what you have. And if you're rejected, you just leave. That's all it is. You leave. And, and, and think about the attitude you have to have inside to be able to leave. If your pride is up there, if you don't have the right humility, you will never just leave. You don't walk away from a fight. You buckle down and you, you know, bring reinforcements or something. And you get down, right? And you, you, you prove it. In order to even fulfill these words, in order to even follow the direction that the Bible gives us, which is just literally shake it off and move on, you have to have a humble heart. You have to see past the confrontation. You have to see past the us versus them and understand that literally these are broken people. And if they don't understand and if they reject, they just don't understand and our love does not diminish for someone because they don't understand. In fact, maybe in some weird way, it should actually grow. It should actually grow towards that person. And so that's the second thing. We have to allow God to cultivate humility. Once again, it's, it has, it's an issue of the heart. The third thing, and this one has a couple moments, and this is the biggest one, we have to understand the process of how salvation works in people, how evangelism works. If the first two were about the heart and about us and God slowly changing us, simple little moments, cultivating those little moments in us, this one here has a little bit to do with us understanding with our mind how God works the bible also tells us right that for lack of understanding my people perish now that verse is universally used to 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 decry any sort of I don't know ignorance if you will and it's really good actually in this case it's not directly related to this but it is true in its essence that you and I when we don't understand something we don't understand how God works a lot of times we try to kind of do our own thing. We don't understand our part. It's the same as on a football field. If a person does not know their route, if a wide receiver does not know his route, and he's just running all over the place the way that we play football, right? You say hike, all the receivers are out there. We're just trying not to bump into each other, and hopefully somebody is open. You don't do that in a professional football game. Everybody has a route. Everybody has their plan, and it's detailed, and, and the better route runner you are, the more likely that you'll be in the right place at the right time when the QB needs you there. Same thing here. When we understand the process, it helps us understand who we are, what we're responsible for, and what we're not responsible for. That's kind of what it boils down to. Carrie really highlighted this, I think at the English service last week. You and I are witnesses. You and I are called to be witnesses. That word is powerful when you break it down and you see what that means practically for you and me. The Bible does not call us to create something out of thin air. The Bible does not call us to do something from ourselves. The Bible, all that it tells us to do is to witness. And to witness, if we kind of put away our, our religious terminology and we think just practically, you're just sharing what you've saw. You're sharing what you've experienced. You're just sharing something that you observed. That's all it is. And in this case, something that you've observed in your life, something that you've experienced personally. You're not preaching to anyone, you're sharing what happened to you. It's amazing that we have this awesome testimony today. Can you imagine turning that into a sermon? It would suck. It would not come close to what God did through just a person being obedient and sharing their story, being a witness, being a witness to what God was doing amongst people. And them just sharing their story is a whole different thing. It's way more powerful because it's not of themselves. You don't feel like, man, this was scripted. This was made up. Or this is, oh, that was a really good example. No, it's something a person lived through. When they talk about forgiveness, they lived through it. And you can't deny it. Even those of us who are cynical, there are probably some people in here, you're like, you know, that father doesn't deserve forgiveness. She shared about people talking like that to her. I'd probably be one of those people at some point in my life. I would probably be one of those cynics. But here's the thing. I can't deny it because I saw it active in someone's life. I see it in somebody's eyes, in their heart, and in their experience. And that's the thing with God. When we are called to be witnesses, you and I, this is the most powerful moment. God has given us such an awesome tool. If you preach religion, if you get down to trying to prove what you believe, here's the problem. People can reject what you believe because they have their own sets of beliefs. And a lot of times, when it becomes a debate between points and and itemized moments, no progress is made. Someone can win the debate, but the person never wins. You never win over the other person. But a testimony, you can't debate a testimony. Try debating that testimony. You can't debate it, you'd be a fool. A person shared their story. You can reject somebody's theology, you can reject somebody's beliefs, but you can't reject their experiences. That's what they've experienced. That's why the Bible calls us witnesses first and foremost. And what are we witnesses of? What are we witnesses of? There's an example actually in the book of Acts. And it's very simple. It just says this. We are witnesses. And he goes in, and and this is in the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 32. And there's a whole experience there where where they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And and Peter and all the apostles, they've been preaching in the city of Jerusalem. And people are causing a stir. People are being repenting every day. And they're called in to the religious circle. And they're being questioned. And they say, we're witnesses. We're witnesses. We're just sharing. And what were they witnesses of? It actually says it very clearly there. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. That's all that they were witnesses of. Before this moment, think about it. They were witnesses of Jesus being the miracle worker. Of Jesus, you know, resurrecting the dead. But something different happened when they saw Jesus arise from the grave and live out everything that he promised. All the things that he taught them that they didn't understand clicked. And they saw it with their own eyes. And they understood it. And they experienced it inside. They experienced the Spirit. They experienced all those moments. And all that they did is walk around the city and witness to what they experienced and saw. You and I today, we are witnesses of the exact same thing. That Jesus is alive in us. That Jesus is alive in us. If you have no idea what that means, or if you're in your mind, you automatically jump when I say that. You jump to theology I don't know I'm not going to judge you that's your business between you and the Lord but I'm very curious to know are you following an ideology and a dogma or have you actually experienced it because when I say you are witnesses of a living Jesus each person should know what that means inside of them each one I can't even define it for you it's something that you know and that you know. It's something that you've experienced in different ways when God spoke to you or when he frees you from something or when he lifted up a burden off of your heart or when you experience being just born and, and taking that first just breath of air, that freedom that you experienced, those moments that were real and vivid or that moment of forgiveness, whatever it may be, but you've experienced the living God. Religion can't create that, and ideology cannot create those moments. Maybe you're somebody who's experienced peace in the midst of the craziest storm that no logical person should experience peace in. You know God is there. The Holy Spirit is there. You're a witness to something in your own life. You don't need a dramatic story either. You don't need something crazy. You just need to be able to witness about a living God in your life. That's all that you need To be an evangelist. That's all that you need to fulfill this. In fact, isn't it natural? (laughs) It's so natural. That's what the Bible means when it says that we are the light. It's just who you are. And so we are witnesses. What does that do for us? It allows us to know what we're responsible for. God does not need you to convict people. Here's the thing. I want to make it very clear here because you can take it in, in, in the wrong way. God does not call you and me to convict people and convince them of their sin. We don't have to do that. The Bible makes it clear. Pastor Alex actually brought this verse up and, and it was awesome to see it come up today um, because I had it ready for tonight and he brought it up and it was awesome. But the Bible tells us in John sixteen eight that when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's the thing. God has been convicting people way before they met anybody from a church. God has been convicting people in their heart and in their life way before any Christian ever approached them. God is responsible for convicting people. That's why a lot of people, you see their hatred towards God and you don't even know why. Some of them, they have a story. I went to a church. I was mistreated. Maybe they have something like that. But some people, they've never been to a church. They don't even, they've never picked up a Bible. They've never read anything about God. They've never encountered. If you take their IQ about the religion of Christianity, they're at a zero. They have nothing. They have no knowledge or understanding. But their hatred is real. It's real. It's not fake. It's real. You read their comments or you talk to them. There's this vitriol. There's this anger. Why? Because they have met God. Here's the thing, the Holy Spirit has been convicting them of their sin all their life. And they don't know what to do with it. Sometimes people react against it. Some people say, like Pastor Alex preached today, you know, good people have the hardest time. The people who have good lives, the people who are decent human beings, the people that you and I would respect in society, they have the hardest time with God. Because they don't understand what to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit's convicting them. When they look at their life, and like, I'm a decent person, what are you talking about? What should I repent of, as Pastor Alex mentioned today? But the whole point is that the Holy Spirit is responsible for convicting. Now, maybe God wants to speak through you into someone's life. Maybe God wants to convict another human being through you. There are those moments, but I want to be very, 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 very careful and clear here. I would not make that your default job. (laughs) That is not your default job. Your default job is to be a witness. And if God is asking you to convict someone, be very careful about it. You gotta understand that you are literally representing God and the way that you convict someone may turn them away from God forever. Do you understand that if conviction does not come in the right way through you, if you take it into your own hands to convict somebody, to tell them about their sin, to tell them how messed up they are or how what they're doing is so wrong, you gotta understand that you may be that moment That either literally shows them the love of God or shows them a God that has nothing, no interest in their soul. And it all just goes down to how you convict someone. That's why I'm saying be a witness. The Holy Spirit convicts and there are just separate moments when God uses us to convict other people. But mostly you play the role of a witness. You don't have to convince someone that they're horrible. If your conversation with someone is is boiling down to you trying to prove to them how messed up they are, that's when a person can look at you and go, bro, look at you. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I know how you play basketball. (laughs) Sorry, We played basketball last night. Everybody was awesome, I'm just saying. But the whole point is that if it boils down to you trying to convince someone that they're messed up, you're doing something wrong. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Let the Holy Spirit draw that. What we are witnesses of is God's grace and mercy. The thing that a person, when they meet you, what, what they will they draw near to you by is when you bring them and show them, listen, I have the gospel, the good news. Uh, let me share you what God did. Let me share with you what God did for me. I was not worthy of his forgiveness. I was not worthy. I was living, doing this or that. And look what God did. He freed me from that. He gave me forgiveness for that. He changed the way I treat my parents. Or he changed the way that I did. You share about God's transformative. You bring relief, my friends. The world is carrying enough of a burden. That's why Jesus came here to remove the burden. And you and I are called to see people and catch them when they've been convicted, when God has been working on them, and bring them relief. Show them the path. That's why we always point to the cross, and we always point to Jesus, and Jesus didn't come to judge people. Do you remember that? He came to save people. That's the whole point. Judgment will come one day. That moment will happen. That's a whole different thing. Jesus came to save people. That's why we are called to point to the cross. And believe me, when a person comes to Jesus and to the cross, their sin is the most evident thing that will be there. But it will be in a loving way. Think about you and me. When we are in the presence of God, whether it be a prayer, whether it be an amazing worship session, whatever it may be, when you're in the presence of God, one of the first things that is illuminated is how unworthy you are it's illuminated no one has to convince you you feel it it brings tears to your eyes and you go God I don't even know why you love me but in that moment you're surrounded with God's love and you freely lay it down that's what God is drawing each person to and that's our job that's our lane stay in your lane bring be a witness of God's grace you don't have to convict people another thing you don't have to save people This is important too, you know why? Because if you're somebody who believes that you have to save people, no one thinks like that. But sometimes our actions, that's what it shows. If you think that that's you, that's where you lead to moments where a person has already rejected you 10 times and you're still going at them. They're getting angry at you. They're starting to hate anything and everything that is related to you, including God, church, and anything, but you're still going at them. You gotta save your complex. That's a problem. You are not called to save. You are a witness to the Savior. You point to the Savior. And if a person is ready, they will receive. And if a person is not ready, they will reject. And God's going to continue drawing them, moving on them. Apostle Paul understood this very clearly when he talked about the difference between him and... I don't know how to say it in English, goodness, because I've always heard it in Russian. Apollos. Apollos? Apollos. But he understood clearly that there are multiple kingdom workers and that an unbeliever will come in contact with multiple believers. And he showed that somebody will water it. Somebody plants the seed. Somebody waters it. But it's a process. And that process of something that is is moving, growing, and finally grows and there's fruit to be picked, that process God is in charge of. Not one person. I'm not responsible. Even though I may know somebody who needs the gospel for a long time and I've shared here or there, I'm not responsible for saving them. God is working on them. I just do my part and I allow God to do it. Now, that sounds really nice, but it's much harder when it's somebody who's near you, someone you love. We have people here, your siblings. I'm sure there's a lot of people here. Your siblings are people that you worry about. You, you, you wonder about. We had a prayer recently, even with, with our group of our folks, and we were praying, and that was one of the needs that came up is people who are looking, and man, is somebody near me. And the first thing you want to do, you just want to literally like baptize them. You know, like grab them and just pluck them in the, put them in the water, dunk them, and like just be saved already. We want that because we understand what's at stake. My friends, we're not called to save. We're called to be witnesses and to Point to the gospel. Point to Jesus. Continue praying for that person. But God is in charge. Trust God. There's nobody better at convicting people and saving them than God himself. Stay in your lane. What are we responsible for? To be natural. To be natural, my friends. To be natural. And natural has everything to do with being humane and being love, having love in your heart humane you know people we've shared this so many times but some people when they preach the gospel they lose all human dignity they lose all ethics you don't walk up to somebody at a store and and ask them about how much money they make you don't do stuff like that right there are certain things that are off limits you don't come up to strangers and, and sometimes even your friends there are certain things that you don't breach because it's not there your relationship isn't there there is no connection yet there in order to do something like that, to talk about things like that. There is a human way of building relationships, and it's natural. And sometimes when people preach the gospel, they cross every line there is because they want to save that person. They, they stray out of their lane, and they cross all humane moments. You don't come into somebody's life and tell them you're a horrible person if you don't know them. How would you share that even with somebody who you know? Once again, this Holy Spirit convicts you. But some people, that's their version of evangelism. They find somebody and they just, they, I mean, think about that. They scan them and they go, here's what's wrong with you. I have a list of like 300 things. Let me point it out to you. There is something amazing. The gospel is the most, it's the greatest treasure that you and I have. It's the greatest treasure that is available to humanity. And think about this moment. If you sell it, you're cheapening it. You have to treat it as what it is. It's a treasure. You don't just throw it to strangers. You don't just, the Bible talks about casting pearls before swine even. That's a horrible, horrible image. But that's exactly what sometimes happens. You have to treat both the person and the gospel with respect. You share it in its appropriate moment. You share it in in a worthy way. That means that most of our ministry, most of our evangelism happens to people that are near us. People that we have grown close to, people who trust us, people who we can share our story with. That's the point. There's a moment where you share your story and you decide, like Diana shared today about how she was preparing, whether to share it or not. That's a serious moment to share your story. You don't just share it with anybody You weigh that, and you see, and and there's a lot of different thoughts, but you share it with people that are close to you. My friends, it is our job to live life where God has planted us, at your job, your school, wherever, and to build natural relationships. Here's the last thing that we're responsible for, to obey, to obey. And what do I mean by that? If you are building a natural relationship, you're hanging out with people, you're, you have a good thing going with your coworkers or your neighbors or whoever it may be. There's a good little moment that will come up where it will be appropriate for you to share the gospel. Carry when he was sharing, I don't know if it was here or the English service, he shared how they opened up their home. They created almost like it's not a nat- like a house. They lived like at a building, if you will, had multiple rooms. And they would have 14 to 20 different people living with them at any time. And people would come there not because they were seeking salvation. They needed a place to stay. People were broken. People were messed up. Somebody was going through something in here. He talked about how he got a call and it was like, hey, there's this transgender person and they're just they're, they're flipping out. And they're rejected. They have nobody. Can they just stay with you? Those are the people that they took in. There was nothing else that was, there was no prerequisites. It was just anybody who needed a place to stay. And people would live with them. And they would just live life with them. Treat them with respect, love. He was sharing how that one person, that the transgender person was, was banging on the wall and screaming, I hate you, God. And they'd have to listen to that for months at a time. This man's anger. And I mean, the whole house was filled with his anger. But they just lived. They loved. But a moment comes where a person is open. And you and I have to be sensitive for that moment. Where the gospel is is ready to be shared with that person. And he he says that sometimes it took two years. Think about it. Allowing someone to live with you and dealing with all of their stuff for two years to get that one moment. But that's what it's all about. That one moment. Because that one moment determines all of eternity. And our moment is, is... what were we responsible for? To obey in that moment. Be sensitive. You know, a lot of times we, we, we make this very complicated, and it's not going to be a moment where, where you're just going to, bam, it's in your head, and you're like, I'm going to speak. I will speak. It's, it's, it's not. It's a natural thing. In fact, a lot of times we miss it not because we're afraid. We miss it because we're looking for something that looks different. A lot of times it's a moment where a person is just ready for something. They're ready for help. I'll be honest. I have to move out. I've been living where I'm living. I've been here for six years in the condo where I live. For six years, I've lived here. And, and I've built certain relationships with certain neighbors. And a lot of my neighbors have been changing over the years. But there's a few neighbors that have been there for a long time. And me and my wife made it a priority to pray. Every once in a while, pray for our neighbors. Just pray and see if there's a moment. And I'll be honest, so far, there have not been many moments. There've not been anything. There was one moment that I missed and then the dude died. And that's not funny. It kind of sounds funny, but it's not funny. But it was my fault. I missed it. Usually when I share that I cry about it to be honest. But in this case there's certain neighbors we had no opportunity and it's crazy. Because right now I have to be out by the by the end of this month and not joking. It's not because I'm almost out of there. Me and my wife sat down and we both just felt it like the neighbors have been coming up to us, catching us, like, hey, we heard you're moving, or we saw online that your guys' place is for sale, like, you guys are going to be out of here, uh, you know, like, what's going on? And, and we see this moment where people are just, like, open, and they're kind of reaching out to us, and we know this is our moment. This is our moment to share, what we've been waiting for. And 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 two of the people, we've been waiting all six years, because we saw them in the beginning, and we've been thinking, praying, we just haven't had that moment. And now, they're open. They want to. They want to have dinner together, or Whatever. So the whole point is you got to catch. It's a little practical moment, and you just go for it in that moment. You go for it. It feels natural, and that's what it is. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't have a plan. I don't have a whiteboard set up, and I don't have scriptures and slides. I'm just going to have dinner with them, and I'll share in that moment what I know. I'm a witness. That's all I am. Amen cool. Are you guys saying amen because it's late and you want to get out or are you saying amen because you agree? Both. You guys are the most honest and awesome people. Thank you. Let's stand up. we still got to pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for all of the awesome people in this place. I pray, God, that your spirit would move us, would work in us. God, today we got to experience your presence. We got to experience your mercy, your grace. Thank you so much, Lord, for working in people's lives and for prompting them to share their testimonies with us, to be witnesses of your mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love, God, and inspiring us through that, Lord. We want to thank you, Jesus, for revealing your nature. God, it's you who is glorified in all of this God I want to thank you for that God I pray Lord that you would move our hearts God I pray that you would cultivate us Lord to grow and and to be useful for your kingdom not just within the body not just within the church but to be useful as kingdom workers as ambassadors Lord to other people sharing the good news sharing the gospel that is that can lead them to salvation God I pray father let that process happen naturally grow us naturally if anyone God is dealing with pride lord point that pride out to them god if anyone has fear lord point that fear out and lead them to see what is at stake god if anybody has a heart that is hardened that is not very interested in other people cultivate love and grace and mercy god you know what each one of us is in need of and you know what what needs to happen for us to grow god just create out of us, Lord, kingdom workers. God, I trust that process to you. And I thank you, God, for just being so good, gracious, kind, and patient with us, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for everything. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. George David Duke next week. I love you guys.